0: Their offensive line coach put the AIQ scores up on the wall in their formation. Center, guards, tackles, tight end. And he was like, help me digest this. Like, can these two guys uh, do, like, man schemes? Can they zone block? So he started to look at them not just as individuals but as a group. Mm. And the team... That year,
1: won a Super Bowl. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Mid weekly where we're making strength and conditioning not boring. There's too much boring strength and conditioning, and we're here to fix that. In today's episode, we had um, Scott Goldman, the creator of AIQ, on the show. AIQ is a test that is supposed to be better than the Wonderlick. I've taken this AIQ, still waiting to get my results sent back to me from the proctor. I took it on my iPad it is not like a multiple choice. I hate those kind of tests. Um, this one, it's kind of like you play some games, you do some scrolling. Anyways, the, the thing that we're going to talk about in this video is about how we can actually start to profile your athletes on how they like to learn. Are they good at match uh, matching and memory? Are they good at you know recalling or logistics? And it's important to understand that that's, you know, this is not going to solve any psychological problems that you have with your teams. This this is not an all-encompassing thing like that. However, it might start to help you profile how your athletes learn in a different way. You might get this whole test scores back and then your athletes are like, oh my gosh, yes, I suck at memory recall. Like for me, when I'm taking the test, I was like, oh, when it was, it was like, um, nine or 12 different patterns and you had to like try you looked at it for like 20 seconds and you had to try to recall it as best you can i was like i ain't doing it don't know how to do it just hit next like it i couldn't remember it it was stressful trying to remember it or it would show an image and then a number underneath it and it would be like one second you'd see like a hat and then the number 85 and then it'd be like a turtle and the number 20 and you'd have to try to pair the two together and then recall it all later i apparently suck at that However, logic and turning shapes and tracing things, I did way better. So I think this can be a very valuable tool for you, uh, football strength and conditioning coaches, basketball. Like If you've got the budget to use it, I think it'd be very valuable. Um, enjoy the episode. It's a pretty long one. Fernando and I dive into it. If you like it, make sure you give us a subscribe, share it, let the rest of the people know that you've enjoyed the show. And uh, without further ado, let's get into it.
0: Love the love uh, the dynamics here. I think there's some really good some really good uh, camaraderie uh, I, I I almost get the sense that uh, we share a, a kinship in our mentality uh, one for the love of sport and two just kind of the idea of some of the really really super cool conversations I've been a part of have been these sort of like organic like whoa what just happened there kind of thing you know you're having dinner with the team owner and all of a sudden he says hey what do you think about and then before you know it You've uh, you've had an interesting conversation about all kinds of decision-making that I, – I, not to go off on tangents here for a sec, but there was a conversation I was a part of that reminded me a lot of my high school friends at a bar um, going through their fantasy football roster and talking about making trades and stuff. And it was like crazy because I'm like, that's not how it's done. And then there I was with the owner and the team president and everything else. And they sounded just like <laughs> fantasy football owners, <laughs> except that they actually could make those kinds of trades, you know. And so it, it's just, it's funny how uh, sometimes you just can't make this stuff up in sports.
2: No, I, I agree with you. Um, being being um, in football, uh, sometimes my friend asked me, like, how is it? I was like, it's like real life FIFA. Um, I'm in the game. It, exactly how it happens in the game, like the conversations, like how you trade. You'd be like, "Oh, that would never happen!" Like that—that makes no sense. No, no sense is like a daily thing here. There's no such thing. I don't (laughs) guess anymore. It's just like whatever can happen will probably happen. Um, So, having said that,
0: that, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, there's that great Nelson Mandela quote, which is like, "Everything seems impossible until it's been done," and so it is. It's like one of those things where, on the playing pitch, you see these amazing feats and actions that occur and then in the boardroom you also see these decisions that you're like wow that just happened for real
1: yeah yeah no and like one of the things that i had been talking about before and, and got really interested in all of this is the fact that this can finally like we've had a guest on before uh, for our listeners out there you know who have heard us talk with fergus and Fergus, um, for you, Scott, is a – he used to work in sport. He used to work at the 49ers. He used to work at um, at Michigan. and like We worked
0: together at Michigan. Fergus- okay. Scott, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so,
1: like, it, it plays right into the technical, the tactical, the psychological, like, and just how, to me, this and what you guys have with AIQ, to me, it seems like it could be catapult for strength and conditioning coaches on the – psychological aspect and being able to have somebody that they can refer to and help them with what they're trying to do. Does that make any sense? It does. And what
0: I would do is I'd say like, let's take one step back and look at things globally for a sec. And something that Fernando kind of was instigating the conversation with that led you to say, Hey, let's hit the record button, which is we are becoming more and more data driven than ever before. But As uh, my stats professor once told me, he said, look, garbage in equals garbage out. So just because we can doesn't always necessarily mean that we should. And so one of the mechanisms right now is people are collecting a lot of data, but they're not quite sure what to do with it. Amen. And one of the things, one of the taglines that I like to say when I'm talking with teams about data and analytics and data collection is the concept of... um, you want to ideally amplify a signal and eliminate the noise. And right now we are in a world that has more noise than ever before. So one concept is can we amplify the signal, eliminate the noise? The other concept is as much as analytics gives us a really concrete number and we like concrete numbers because like in a you know like in European football, you know Three points will always beat – a team that scores three points will always beat a team that scores one point. Like that three to one is a no-brainer. So we look at numbers and we we like how hard they are. We like how concrete they are, how digestible. And then you can also add them to a graph or a chart, hmm. and then they become really colorful and magical looking, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I like to do when I talk to teams is I say, look, like, don't be fooled by the numbers, and, you know, when you're talking to owners who are billionaires, sometimes I, I, I will reference, like, you know, you have a financial planner. Most wealthy people do. And you've got to ask yourself, what does a financial planner need your money? If, if they have such analytics and algorithms of how to invest in the stock market, then they should have already retired. Mm. And so I always like to talk about, like, the stock market and sports, which is why gambling is so popular, is they both are actually driven, not just by facts, but by how people perceive these facts, how they go about digesting these facts. So now let's bring this back into to the under the hood of, of, the, of the car that we drive, being in professional sports. It's really interesting, right? Because if we're looking at a report and we go, hey, this guy outscored this guy, well, we should take the higher score every time. And it's like, mm, that's not always the case. Because there's a complexity of all these different variables that come together um, to help us. It's a rich tapestry. So, And I'm kind of all over the place, so hopefully this is making sense to either the two of you or or those that are listening. And if not, please jump in. When the financial advisor tells us to invest our money in, let's just make up a a stock, you know, uh, the widget company. He's doing it based off of homework, right? The widget company has this kind of tech industry and this kind of you know, money, you know, all these facts and variables, but it's also based off the human perception of this stock is going to be good. In sports, it's the exact same thing. We see a player and we go, oh my gosh, man, this guy is fast. He's strong. He's in the right place at the right time. He's doing all these things. And now all of a sudden, there's a narrative that starts to build up. But one of the things that we know to be true with science in decision making is human beings are kind of notorious for being wrong. We have all kinds of biases (laughs) that filter in, like confirmation bias, right? Where we only accept the pieces of data that fit the narrative or the conclusion we want to get to. And so I think what happens is really good analytically driven teams are doing a great job of preventing garbage in equals garbage out. So they're being selective in what pieces of data they're measuring and how they're measuring it. And then they're using it in conjunction with the artistry of talent evaluation and coaching.
2: Yeah. How have you seen be... it
1: being used? Oh, oh go. go, you go. I was go. gonna say like,
2: when we talk about like off camera and we talk about analytics and data driven, I feel like <clears throat> of the people I've met and the places that I've seen, you know, do the what I, what I consider to be a good job are the people that know how to surf between one end and the other, because I see on the one side people that are scared of, like, facts and data-driven, so they just, you know, cognitive bias, they reject everything as that, and they, like, you know, because they don't understand, they don't know how to use it, or, you know, feel like their added value is that instinct that you can't really quantify, so they sort of, like, pride on the, like, this, like, myth, m- mythical skill that no one can really judge, so you get away with that. And then the others are the ones that are paranoid uh, about the future, trying to predict, like predictive models and all this and all that. Uh, and like you said, it's just, that's why I believe removing the, the, the human factor uh, will be really hard. And the human factor is the, uh, the distinctive char- characteristic, because there's people that know, you know have the art of coaching, if you want to call it something, but also understand numbers. So you know, um, like you said before as well, like, that when you're looking at something, you're making decisions based on stats you are making decisions based on the past. And, you know, the fact that the sun came out since the world started doesn't mean it's going to come out tomorrow. Statistically, very, 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 very likely. But, right. you know, you know what I mean? I, I, I can't remember what that exact um, bias was like. But anyway, do you know what I mean? Like, so until something different happens, then the rule we have is only what we've seen. So... Yeah,
0: the, the way I like to phrase it is like, in the NFL, the National Football League, there's 32 teams. If all thirty-two teams invest in analytics, every Sunday, which is the games which is the day that they play all their games, every Sunday, sixteen teams are gonna be right and sixteen teams are going to be wrong. So sixteen teams are gonna go, I love analytics and I love how analytics helped us make all these decisions that helped us win. And the sixteen teams that lost are gonna be like this stuff's a bunch of hooey, and they're gonna throw it out. The other example I give, this goes back to gambling, is if we could come to a level of mastery where analytics perfectly captures all data and and all predictive models and indices, then there would be no need to even play the games. You would just say, hey, team X has all the right variables over team Y, no point in playing." So what I like to do is I like to think of analytics, and again, this is the blend of art and science, is... When it comes to, um, oh, you know what's a good example? Amazon. So Amazon uses their analytic formula where they say, look, we don't know why, but we have seen a statistical trend that in the month of October, snow shovels sell more in places like Minnesota or Michigan than they do, say, in a place like Florida or Louisiana. So what Amazon does with that analytic algorithm is they send more snow shovels to the warehouses up north so that way one shipping costs are down and shipping efficiency goes up, right? And only they can deliver a snow shovel in one or two days. So analytics used correctly can improve our efficiency in our decision-making. But I don't know if it'll ever actually predict with definitiveness.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, those movies that question you know the difference between fate and free will. And you see the you know the, the the characters like mind blown and suddenly making that decision that couldn't be predicted. Uh, but no, it's very interesting. I I I love where you uh, we're going with this. Justin, you had questions before I cut you off for the first time. Usually the other way around.
1: No, um, <clears throat> I mean well yes, I have tons of questions. But the <laughs> the first one that I that I had was. From listening to your conversation, I mean, first of all, I first heard about it, um, watched your episode on the McAfee show, and I couldn't stop, like, listening to it, hitting pause and, like, talking to Fernando. Like, it it just – it struck me to the core because I feel like there is such an ability to make athletes and coaches' lives better by kind of trying to quantitate things that us strength and conditioning coaches hear far too often of, you know, the word tough and and mental toughness and strength and, oh, are they smart? Like, just that ability so – how were you, first of all, able to help um, create a test that was eliminating biases, like you said, um, gender, religion, uh, socioeconomic status? Because that is—I mean—you hit the nail on the head. Because Fernando, you'll—you remember uh, the name Molly Benetti, But from her talk at CVAS, she talked about how you know kids get told, "Oh, you're not tough." Well, it might not be the same tough that they're used to because they didn't grow up on a farm doing things, but they grew up in a single parent household and they had to be the the dad or or the mom of the house at age eight or nine, right? Like, it's just, I don't know, it struck me to the core, especially because of the population that I work with here at Towson.
0: So, I'll start with this. I've been very fortunate to have worked with some phenomenal, and when I say phenomenal, I mean phenomenal strength and conditioning coaches. And it's funny because almost, like, it's almost in a lot of ways scripted Where the the strength and conditioning coach will say to me like, oh, I'm just a dumb meathead or oh, I'm just the guy who pushes weights or something. Meanwhile, you get past that 30-second self-deprecating statement and they are just brilliant, brilliant minds looking for competitive advantages and constantly downloading information. They are just curators of knowledge. So I've always had a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for strength and conditioning coaches because of two reasons. One- to a T, everyone I've ever worked with was way smarter than they wanted to admit. And then two, the strength and conditioning room is like the barbershop of every pro team I've ever worked for. If you want to hear truth, if you want to chop it up, if you want to establish a relationship with the players, if you want to know what's really going on, it when a strength and conditioning coach invites you, as a psychologist, when a strength and conditioning coach invites you into the into the, you know, into the weight room just to kind of hang out with the fellas. That's when magic happens. So now let's go back to the AIQ and where some strength and conditioning coaches that I've worked with. It's amazing because you ask like, where did the AIQ come from and what is the AIQ? So let's kind of, let's kind of put some ground rules for those that might not know. This can be a way oversimplified definition, but I see an athletic comprehensive profile consists of four buckets. So bucket number one is the physical measurable size, strength, speed, agility—the stuff that the strength and conditioning coaches really can maximize their measurements on, as well as maximize their you know optimal outputs. Second bucket is uh, is experience. So it's about getting somebody uh, from a well-known system. So like in American sports, you have programs like Alabama and Georgia that just produce high level talent and so if you're going hey our system like the philadelphia eagles the nfl team the philadelphia eagles just drafted a whole bunch of georgia bulldogs and one of the reasons why is their defensive system their scheme is very similar so they're going like hey if we grab guys from georgia they kind of already know what we're about to teach them so that second bucket is experience third bucket is intelligence and intelligence is really about problem solving that if you were to think about sports, which is how I think about it, as this ever-mutating, unsolvable puzzle, which is why Mm -hmm. Vegas and all the gambling and everything else can't figure this stuff out. If it's this ever-mutating, unsolvable puzzle, then intelligence is one of the mechanisms of allowing you to solve puzzles cognitively. So (laughs) the example that I give, you know, if we're going to go with a European audience right now, is think about a center midi who has to identify where to make that through pass. Let's say the defensive back of the opponents are in like a flat back four formation. And you've got your nine checking two and you've got your winger kind of pushing fast. And you're going, okay, do I hit the the nine and the check two? Or do I lob one over that flat back four to the winger who's coming on and do I hit an angle? That's a whole bunch of complicated cognitive puzzles that they have to do in live time. And some people are just better at it than others. And then the last bucket has a lot to do with things like um, personality. Are they a locker room guy? Are they gonna be toxic? Are they poison? You know, Are they good characters and all of that? So going back to the AIQ and that measure of sports specific intelligence, <clears throat> the reason why my partner Jim Bowman and I created it was we just wanted, like having been a sports psychologist for 25 years, I've never met a coach that really loves to mother eff a dude. I've also never met a player who really loves to be mother F'd. So, One of the things that you hear a lot is they either don't know or they don't care. And the default is they don't care. And though that might be true in some circumstances, and don't care would be that fourth bucket, that personality bucket. But the third bucket, the intelligence, is they don't know. So. What I know from my training as a school psychologist is sometimes people can be misdiagnosed as troublemakers or they're in the classroom, their classroom disruptions, they've got oppositional defiant disorder, all that kind of stuff. When what it really is, is it's just somebody who's struggling to keep up with everybody else because they have a learning disability. I think we've all been a part of a team at various levels where you see that one player who like as they're running, that one player is kind of like dragging behind, right? Like he just can't keep up. As they're doing laps, he's getting further and further behind. Well, no one would mother F that player and say, oh, he doesn't care. They would say, oh, this guy's just not physically fit or he's not as physically capable as these other individuals. There would be this kind of known gap that we would accept. No different like in the NFL, a 360-pound offensive lineman and a 185-pound wide receiver, if you put them on the same 100-yard dash and ask them to sprint, you wouldn't even put those two in a competition because it would be such a no-brainer of who would win. So what what Jim and I kind of talked about was we said, gosh, I think we can make a lot of impact. I think we can do a lot of good if we can help people understand that some people process information to an equivalent lag as that one kid who couldn't keep up with everybody else while running laps. And if we can help them catch up, if we can kind of give them like maybe a scooter or something that gives them the ability to close the gap on that lap, then there might be less um, combative behavior.
1: I mean, that's, yeah, that that's unbelievably insightful. How does that get done for anybody that's listening? They're like, all right, what do I do? How, do? how do I do this for my athletes? How do I help them out?
0: Yeah, so step one is you measure the AIQ and you know, the you use the AIQ the AIQ has 15 data points 4 broad abilities, 10 specific abilities, that has to do with things from a wide range, from like processing lifetime information like we were talking about earlier, scanning the field or scanning the pitch and identifying where your teammates are knowing where you are in relation to space, so there was a, a, a European football team that I was working with where their, their nine had really poor spatial awareness. And spatial awareness is knowing where you are in relation to others. So I asked the nine, I said, hey, do you ever drift off sides? And the coach who was in the room started to kind of like chuckle under his breath. And the nine goes, how did you know that? And I said, well, um, your spatial awareness is low. And I could see that being something where as you're watching and tracking the ball, you might just lose track of where you are. They said, "Great, what's the solution there?" And I said, um, "I think I can think of two immediate options. One is um, put 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 your body on the last defender, so that way you don't have to kind of sense where they are. You just you're actually having that tactile sensation. You feel where they are. And some players do that already. Like that is part of this. And and you know when you need to create space, you kind of push off and go. But it also leads a disadvantage because." <laughs> If that player is marking you, and you're trying to stay connected to him, right? So that was option one. The other option that I gave to the team, to the coach and the players, I said we could convert you to a winger. I said maybe you're ridiculously fast, and you might be a winger, and therefore you're less likely to drift off sides because you'd be coming from you know 10, 15 yards, uh, or 10 meters, you know, further away from the last defender. And the player like lit up. And he looked at the coach, and they started laughing. I said, what's so funny? And the player said, for my club team, I'm a winger. And the coach said, you know what? I think we should probably think about converting you to a winger. So so I have found with good data, remember, garbage in equals garbage out, but good data amplifies the signal. It helps coaches make well-educated decisions. So it's funny, Fernando, you were talking about this as a talent evaluation tool, which it is. AIQ is great at, at assessing talent. The question is when and, and how often do you assess? So one element is pre, pre-onboard, right? Before draft, before free agency, before selection, you go, hey, does this guy's cognitive profile fit what we're doing here? But there's also a post-onboard moment where you go, okay, this is our guy. Now we got to figure out what to do. Is he better off maybe like going from center midi to being you know center back? Or being the nine converted to the winger, or or any of those other kinds of things, or or even how we game play, do we play more of like an offside trap? Do we play more traditional four four two, or a flat back four? Like you can start to design your game plan, your schemes, your tactics based off of what they're cognitively good at, and offset cognitive weaknesses too. And then the third element is development, right? So we can go to development academies and help teams that are trying to figure out how to get these, you know, 16, 17, 18-year-olds to really be at their best performance.
1: Yeah. Like again, how did you, I mean you have you sound like you have a, a an immense knowledge of sport. Are you able to even help out like okay, you, you talked about um, the the baseball, or excuse me, the the soccer Example, you talked about American football before, but like, okay, other sports like baseball. What are, what are some of the best sports that the, the AIQ would be beneficial to or anybody that's listening out there?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of intelligence, right, is it can be applied anywhere and in pretty much any situation. Now, one thing I will asterisk. So I, I've been a sports psychologist for 25 years working with professional teams across multiple leagues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I've always asked is when a product came to me and I was the gatekeeper and they said it did everything like it cured ADHD and offside penalties and false starts and everything like that to me is a little bit of a warning. So I just want to say though the AIQ does have a tremendous amount of diversity and utility, it's not meant for everything all of the time. And anything that is, again, makes me kind of go, Mm, (laughs) meh. Sometimes, like, I'd rather under, I'd rather. Uh, under-promise and over-deliver. But going back to your question, teams that have used us, football, both American and European, rugby, um, baseball, basketball, um, we've also been in the military, so firefighters, um, special forces units, uh, volleyball, uh, skiing. We actually, uh, and we did skiing, and we also did, um, Uh, sleds you know the luge and the skeleton and the bobsled Uh, we did that with an Olympic uh, development center I mean it's interesting because again anytime you have a situation that's an unsolvable puzzle intelligence is going to factor into it so when I was working at the University of Arizona we had 16 teams 14 of them were using the AIQ when I was at Michigan we had 31 teams I want to say it was like 27 of them were using the aiq the teams that were not using the aiq which make this a little bit easier was teams that were like swimming cross-country running um rowing you know more individualized sports versus things that have a little bit more complication in there i mean it's funny uh we had a golf program ping us and i was like i don't know if this is really meant for golf because in my mind i always thought about it from team sports where there was all these moving pieces But sure enough, as the golfer started, as the golf program and the guy who was running it started to explain to me some of the cognitive aspects, I was like, yep, we measure that, we measure that, we measure that, we measure that. So sure enough, we're even being used by some golf programs.
1: So, thinking about this from the lens of a strength and conditioning coach, one of the things that I was thinking of hearing you talk is, you know, with functional movement and anything of that nature, there are, you know, corrective exercises or therapeutic exercises. What would be the quote-unquote, you know, corrective exercises or therapeutic exercises to help bridge any of these deficiencies found from the, the
2: AIQ? So basically, if you sorry, you're saying like, is this, because it's as a test, does it come with a prescription as well, like a diagnosis or like areas or, is that, is that what you're going for? Because yeah, I was going to go before that and say, Without giving away too much, uh, what, what, what's the test though? You know, what what what, what do they have to do? Is it? I'm assuming it's not like a multiple choice.
0: <laughs> That's right. So so, two really important points, and I promise I'll hit both of them, or I'll do the best I can. So let's go to the first question, which is like, well, how to strength and conditioning coaches? And I'm so glad you brought us back to that. And here's why. Those great coaches that I've been around. They were like, Scott, can, can this make me a better teacher? And I was like, yes, that's what it's intended for. See, I, I see strength and conditioning coaches, they teach as much as they motivate, if not more. And so one of the things that happened, so there was, there was a, a specific athlete I can think of where they were just struggling in the weight room. They couldn't quite figure it out. It was really a lot to do with form. And so I looked at their AIQ score, and sure enough, their multiple target search was off. And multiple target search is like kind of like a Where's Waldo task. It's the ability to look for minute details in a crowded space. And so, what was interesting was the coach was telling the player to watch his performance on a video playback. So they were doing something like I'll just kind of make it up. Like they were kind of doing like like they were doing like a dead pull or something like that, you know, or a squat, and they had it on a video where after he did it, they would have him watch it. And on the video, like on the little iPad, they're watching the video, and the coach would start just blasting them with all these touch points about their form. You see your hips, you see your knees, all this kind of stuff. And him scanning his own video, he was getting lost. By contrast, another thing that we measure is called target comparison, which is the ability to compare two pieces of information, like are these things the same or are they different? So the coach, the strength coach came to me and was like, hey, I'm really having a hard time. And he was somebody who was really on cutting edge technology. Like, again, he was using video to give them feedback loops and stuff. And I said, have you ever done like a side-by-side? So again, you're showing him good squat form. Have you ever done like a side-by-side where you have him compare his form to somebody who's got a perfect form? And he's like, no, I just show him his form. I said, if you do this comparable that actually plays more to his true cognitive tendency. And that's the kind of frustration that we're trying to save. Now, Fernando, bringing it back to your question about, okay, so what is it, what does it look like? Um, we wanted to make it universal. Justin kind of mentioned this earlier, like we wanted to make sure that there was no biases. So things like wealth, socioeconomic status, race, religion, but also country of origin. As important as it was for us to test somebody from like rural Iowa or inner city Miami, we also wanted to be able to test somebody from the Netherlands or Australia. So the test is nonverbal by nature. It's a lot of games and visual tasks. It's all done on an iPad. It takes about 30 to 35 minutes to administer. And what most athletes say, the two most common comments we get is, damn, that shit was hard. I don't know if I'm allowed
1: to that. Oh, I you can I, swear. You can, yeah.
0: It's say, like, damn, that shit was hard. And then the other thing they'd say is, this is so much better than you asking me multiple choice questions or do I like dogs or cats or anything. They, they, they found it to be engaging because it's kind of like playing games like Candy Crush.
1: Uh, like that um, – one of the things that I was thinking – like putting my nerd hat on, as you were coming up with these tests um, – did you have to, or did you have a difficult time? I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Were you guys, as you were making up those tests, or were they already prior validated? And did you have any issue when you were taking, okay, this test with, you know, the game and the matching? Once you added them all together, now it's a new, um, now it's a new test. Now it's a new question. Did you have any uh, validity and reliability issues? Because I was coming into that when I was doing the PhD, it was like, okay, we have to make sure that we use this already validated thing versus the going through the whole validation uh, process.
0: So let's let's friggin' nerd it up, bro. Uh, great it. question, great question. And this is where I love to give my partner Jim Bowman a world of credit. Here's what we did. The first thing we did was we followed the American Psychological Association's ethical guidelines for test construction, which meant we had to do test, retest, reliability. We had to do construct validity. Like, we followed all of that to the nth degree. So that's step one. Step two was we took something called the cattell horn carroll Theory of Intelligence, CHC theory. And the CHC theory is the predominant theory of intelligence being used in all intelligence, in, in most intelligence tests right now. So it is the gold standard. So if you're familiar with things like the Woodcock-Johnson or the Stanford-Binet or the Wexler scales, these are all things that have been used in schools to identify things like learning disabilities or giftedness in children for decades. It is where, it's just where the most research exists. So what we did was we took old wine and we put it in a new bottle. So we took all of these elements of the CHC theory because it was so Bonafide. It was so gold-starred. And then we put it to a new world, which was sports. But to your point and to your credit, once we migrated it over, we had to again follow the American Psychological Association's ethical guidelines. And So it took us about 15 years to develop. And it was all about ensuring the integrity of the results and the test itself. And the reason why is, like, you can visually see somebody who's fast. You just have them run. <laughs> you can't always visually see somebody who's smart and we wanted our numbers to be so laser focused that there would be no doubt like yes that's what we're seeing so we took you know what's the old on on the shoulders of giants right that that expression on the shoulder. we took what was the gold standard and then we brought it to a new world and then we tested it and then retested it to make sure that it had just the highest fidelity So that way, going back to Fernando, not only are we just giving a a number, we're also giving a sports-specific and a position-specific analysis and recommendation.
1: Another question that I had hearing you talk there was, okay, for the strength and conditioning coaches out there, more and more of them are graduating, for lack of a better term, into directors of high performance. And as a director of high performance, you know, uh, a sports psychologist would, I guess, fall underneath the reporting lines or whatnot. It seems like somebody in your position with your knowledge could do a fantastic job in one of those roles as well. How do you see a symbiotic relationship between strength coach, sports psychologist? How do you see that evolving and getting, you know, more more of them in the field because there are, you know, a good amount of strength coaches already.
0: So, I'll say this and hopefully it doesn't turn off your audience, but my superpower is my authenticity
1: and transparency. Like that's what we are at Strength Coach Network. Like, listen, we're we're we don't beat around the bush. You're good, bro. <laughs>
0: well, I, look, if my breast stinks, I'd like somebody to tell me my breast stinks so I can put a mitt in there. If someone tells me you're fine, and then I go and talk to somebody else and they like, pass out, I'm like, dude, why didn't you tell me my breast stinks? That you know, you know, the king the king of Spain just passed out when I had my one moment to talk to him, kind of thing. So this is my observation of the director of high performance. For the last 25 years, being embedded with teams, there was always a level of tension between the sports med, you know, the athletic training room and the strength and conditioning room. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're slowing my guys down. I can't get them strong enough. Hey, you're getting my guy injured and you're not letting them recover. Like there's always that battle, and so I I saw that these two entities in this sort of Again, they all still have the same goal, which is they want the team to be successful, but sometimes the process becomes a bit of a jockey. At some point, someone in the strength room and someone in the training room figured out if I could be in charge or oversee it, mm. <laughs> I could, they kind of control all domains. <laughs> so to your point, most directors of high performance, they're either strength coaches that figured out if I can come up over the top I can help guide the decision making in sports medicine too, or it's a physical therapist or or an athletic trainer who's done the exact same thing. What's funny is as staffs have expanded with nutrition and psychologists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the the strength coach who became the high performance or the athletic trainer who became high performance inherited all these other domains that they were like, oh, this is I got to do this this shit too. Now, here's where I've kind of differentiated myself. The last seven jobs that I've had, I reported directly to ownership. And the reason why I did that, as much as I love working with a team and I value the, the idea of collaboration, what I found was if I report to ownership, I can be a resource to anyone in the building without there being any of that kind of internal politics skewing the ability for someone to seek out my resource. So my personal philosophy is I'm a, I'm a big believer in patient-centered care, which is the individual drives the bus, and treatment team collaboration. So I love working for an organization when the head strength coach and the head athletic trainer and the nutritionist and the psychologist, we're all working together and we're meeting and we're communicating with another. It's a thing of beauty.
1: No, it really is, and, and I don't understand. like. I'm lucky. The athletic trainer that I uh, was working with with the football team here. I mean, he and I had that symbiotic relationship because it wasn't um, about the ego, right? And I think that's where where you can get into trouble with all of this. Um, I talked about it before on the show, or uh, on our uh, earlier in the episode. But I feel like having this resource, and obviously you you speak to it. But okay, so if a team, you know, gets the AIQ, they now have access to a sports psychologist that maybe they didn't have before much. Like I said with catapult before, okay, they can, you know, track data. And then if they needed help, they can ask people, okay, Hey, this is what my dad is saying. Can I get a little bit of assistance? You all would be providing the same resource in helping them like, okay, figuring out scores or whatnot. Is that how it works too?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, I think that is something that differentiates us from anything else that's out there is we have a level of subject matter expertise. So for example, um, if you look at our reports, Jim and I conducted a really interesting project last summer. We thought this would be fun. And that's kind of what guides us, is we just want to do cool shit with cool people and have a good time.
2: Amen. (laughs) It's gotten us this far. Sounds good.
0: So one of the things that we did was I reached out to a bunch of colleagues, coworkers, and friends that I've worked with. So I reached out to head coaches, GMs, position coaches um, you know front office personnel just a whole bunch of the folks and I said position by position what do you see as the most important cognitive abilities for the nature of their job so take like in the NFL running backs versus wide receivers versus quarterbacks or in the NBA guards versus wings versus bigs that kind of stuff then yeah. my partner Jim for all of those same position specific groups, I said, hey, why don't you identify like the top three to five performers of each position group and compare them to the rest of the pack and look for any cognitive outliers where they outperformed their colleagues in the same position group. We did those two things independently. We came back and we compared our notes. So I I was working with these subject matter experts. He was just kind of working on the analytics side. We found an 87% alignment between what like head coaches valued in a running back and what the running backs who are outperforming the rest of the other pack?
1: How'd you measure that?
0: How did we measure? Like, how'd
1: you say? How do you come up with your 87 percent? Were you doing some sort of uh, qualitative analysis or what?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so what we did was, is again, so I would go to head coach, and I'll just make up a name because we we try not to exploit the relationships with the people. The that head coach's would.
1: name is Fernando. Call him Fernando. So,
0: so head coach Fernando, I said, hey, head good. coach Fernando. Tell me about your tell me about your your center back. What are the five most important cognitive abilities and, and responsibilities for a center back? So it's like winning balls in the air, or and then it's like okay, what kinds of cognitive abilities do you need to do that kind of work?
2: Yeah, like, and then he yeah. gave
0: me his list.
2: Yeah, like tracking, projectile and motion, changed- body in space, uh, possible attackers, other defenders. So sometimes one has to go there, wants to stay, like. Where the keeper is, how far the line is, linesman, offside line, all that stuff.
0: Yep. So that's exactly what we did, was is we broke down this narrative, identified the cognitive abilities that m- most impact those kinds of actions. And then what Jim did on the side was, is Jim then said, okay, I'm going to look at my database to see who are the highest performing center backs of all the people that we've tested. And that's what we compared, was we compared our notes. I said, hey... The coaches say spatial awareness and reaction time and uh, learning efficiency and navigation are the most important. And Jim went, holy crap. I got four out of the five of those in perfect overlap. And we went, I think we found something. So we, we redid our report, so now we have this positional focus element.
1: That's unbelievable. Um, yeah, like I, I just feel like not only can this – this can help out athletes again. Just avoid avoid misdiagnosis on things that um, are not specific to them. Have you heard Have you heard coaches coming back and saying this, or head sport coaches or GMs, um, you know, being like, "Hey, this has been kind of a game changer." And if so, what were the practices that they conveyed to you? Again, you're not. We're not asking for like what the team and who they are. No, just like what were the general themes from okay, the teams that did a great job and they're reporting back how awesome it was. What was some of the feedback and the things they were saying? Like, yeah, one of the
0: Yeah, one of the general themes was we had been trying to shove a square peg into a round hole for years, and you finally told us that that's not going to fit. So a concrete example of this would be like a catcher in baseball who was struggling and ended up moving over and migrating to third base, where he just had a much more consistent, cognitive profile with a third baseman than with a catcher. Or um, uh, this was at the collegiate level. There was a, a, a wide receiver who was just in, in, a, in college football, American football. He, the, They brought in a new passing coordinator, so the previous coach had recruited him. The passing coordinator loved complicated decision routes. So all these multiple route decision trees that, you know, just it's a, it's a thing of chaos and beauty. And this guy was struggling to do it. And uh, and the AIQ suggested that it would be a bad match for him to assign that. So we flipped him to the defensive side of the ball and made him a defensive back. And he ended up getting drafted in the third round and having a pretty good NFL career. And so the, when Jim and I created this thing, it wasn't really about becoming millionaires or anything like that. It was really about making him back. And when I hear stories about people's careers being prolonged or people being taught in a more efficient way and coaches becoming less agitated because all of a sudden the frustration between the relationship dynamic. You know, that was another one. There was a basketball player. This one I thought was super cool. The basketball player was being inconsistent in the the in, what was being digested and the coaches were becoming frustrated the player was becoming frustrated because the player would be like dude i got it and the coach was like really because you messed up in this situation and then it just could go downhill so they came to me and they're like what do you think and i said well do you notice a difference from when you tell him like this is what we did two weeks ago against the atlanta hawks versus calling a timeout and drawing something up on a whiteboard two very different cognitive tasks to recall information from much longer versus holding an image like a dry erase board. And they said, no, we've never tried to differentiate. I said, try it for one week, see what happens. Just, you know, notice if it's stuck or not. And sure enough, because his scores suggested, he's much better recalling information than holding an image on a whiteboard. So they said, well, what do we do? I said, when you call timeout and you want to get him engaged into a play, Tell him this is what we did two weeks ago against the Atlanta Hawks versus drawing something up on the whiteboard and having him try to hold that image in his mind's eye for a long time.
1: All right. So anybody listening to that and they're like, okay, cool, but I work in a team sport. How am I supposed to say that to every person? Would you say, hey, okay, tell that to that kid and then draw it up for everybody else? Like how do you cover the gambit of everybody but in a team sport but respect the individual?
0: So I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> there was an NFL team. And their offensive line coach put the AIQ scores up on the wall in their formation. Center, guards, tackles, tight end. And he was like, help me digest this. Like, can these two guys uh, do, like, man schemes? Can they zone block? So he started to look at them not just as individuals but as a group. Hmm. And the team that year won a Super Bowl. They were a very run-heavy team and they won a Super Bowl and they came back to me after the Super Bowl and said that conversation was instrumental in helping them with their blocking assignments and, and, and also their depth chart because what they started to discover was hey this guy who was talented enough to be with the, the starters but his cognitive profile suggested if they were to just straight up block the guy in front of you he'd be fine. But if they want to do some kinds of like twists or stunts or any kind of other complicated blocking scheme, he'd make too many mental errors.
1: That's, I mean, anybody listening, that's a mic drop moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Anybody who's like, all right, I've heard enough. I've listened to you guys for 48 minutes. Where would somebody contact you? How do they, how do they sign up? What's the process look like?
0: So you're welcome to visit our website, which is AIQ.team, or you can email me directly, which is just my name. It's S- Goldman at AIQt
1: we'll be sure to include all that in the uh, in the show notes but Fernando you got any other questions for him but I want to respect his
2: time because no no was just just listening and you know I think it's very interesting and uh, just can't wait for it to um, keep developing and just get out there I want to take the test now I want to get an iPad and see where I'm at
0: We can totally set you up for that and it's really easy to do. I mean, like that's the beauty of what we did on the iPad is it can go anywhere and it can be administered to anyone. Um, We really do have this kind of, we're able to cast a wide net, which, you know, if if we're kind of wrapping things up, I, I would like to conclude with this. Thank you. Thank you both for the opportunity to talk about it. Like this, this is, this is important to me just because when we created it we we did we just wanted to help people out and it's funny because where we're at right now we've been very fortunate we've helped out hundreds of thousands of, of athletes um, but I think we can help out more and you know I'll be honest I'm not a really smart businessman I, I never thought of this as a, as a product to sell um, I've always thought of it as an instrument to help and so I think one element to being a bad business person is not really know how to market something. And how to and, and so I just want to thank the two of you for giving me an opportunity to educate about the AIQ and how it can help a lot of people.
1: Amen. Thank you very much for your time, brother. And uh, we'll be in touch.
0: Sounds good. Thank you both.
1: Mm-hmm.